This week, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, made two big announcements. Uh, one was the introduction of chapter or US Chapter 11 style uh, insolvency framework for small business. And the other was the removal of responsible lending obligations for banks. Um, together, these are arguably the two most consequential changes to laws impacting family business uh, in Australia in decades. Uh, my name's Nick Samios. I'm the fund manager and director here at Hermes Capital, and I am your lunch money host. Uh, lunch money is the home, social media or an online home uh, for special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals. And welcome. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, please subscribe. Um, and you're also able to subscribe to us on your favourite uh, podcasting platform, uh, be that uh, Apple, uh, Google or whatever. Uh, this week, we turn the spotlight on family business. Uh, and we ask, uh, how are family businesses coping with the challenges of 2020? And uh, how can they do it better? Uh, I've got two fantastic guests to lead us through that discussion. And our first guest is Sally Nichols, Managing Partner of Nichols Family Law. G'day, Sally. How are you going? Hi, I'm really well, thanks, Vic. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Tell me, uh, what is it that uh, has been keeping you busy the last couple of weeks? Oh, well, I think the um, there's been an increase in inquiries, um, in particular in family law, and um, that was predicted um, prior to lockdown. But particularly in Victoria, where I'm based, um, we've really seen, um, unfortunately, an increase in domestic violence, um, also in um, issues that relate to economic abuse. So very, very timely um your introduction really impacts on me in that way. So I've been dealing with um, clients and um, also just the challenges of, of being remote. We haven't seen a live client since March, but it's um, been buzzing along. That's incredible. Um, and so, so it's it's not just folklore. Uh, these things are having pressure, putting pressures on families and relationships. Oh, incredibly. And, and as you know, we've done a series of podcasts where we've really unpacked COVID, um, the financial strain, um, people um, just even having to unpack JobKeeper, for example, when that actually happened. And now when we have valuations of assets um, and particularly family businesses, we're really having to be versatile and actually investigate COVID and, and try and look at the outcomes because nobody, I think, in March predicted that this would last as long as it has. So um, we're really having to work in with experts such as yourself and Mark who's appearing shortly um, on how we actually navigate that commercially for our clients, but also to dealing with the real impact of um, women in particular and children being subjected to domestic violence and still knowing that it's not acceptable at any time, but particularly now, and that the courts and police are very, very um, aware of the situation and um, they really want people and uh, victim survivors, we call them, to reach out, particularly in um, in all sorts of areas, inc including economic abuse. Okay, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's got to be really hard in Victoria. Uh, I mean, it's 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 beyond you know, it's beyond joking about. It's just terrible. Uh, whenever I see people in Victoria, you know, they're, they're doing it tough. They're putting on a brave face and all the rest of it. And um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, it'll be over over soon. Tell me something. Um, I mean, one of these I was saying a bit earlier. You know, this is our twenty seventh episode of Lunch Money, and the reason we started this was because you know we were all locked in and. Uh, you know, I know, actually, I met you uh, over lunch. I think it might have been one of the last lunches I actually had. Uh, in, Remember in that? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> the good old days. But um, And so we've been doing this as a way of uh, staying in touch with our networks. But you've also been doing a bit of podcasting. you want to just briefly tell us a bit about that? Sure. Well, what I was doing, I was actually talking to one of the really um, eminent and um, 
uh, wonderful women's NGOs wire, the Women's Information Referral Exchange, to their CEO, Julie Kuhn, about uh, her prediction before, um, that domestic violence was going to go through the roof, and particularly because of financial pressures. And what could we really do? Because we often do a series of um, live presentations to actually assist WIRE and other NGOs in need. And I said, well, what about a, um, a series of podcasts? We do have the facilities. I had all my team immediately go remote very, very quickly in March, and we realised there was an ability to make podcasts. And we had a young fellow working for us who's a budding film director and editor. So we actually did that, but we unpacked all the different um, aspects of COVID and attempted to address them, but also including domestic violence. We interviewed CEOs, including the CEO of um, Panda that looks after parents who are expecting babies and have just had a baby because they had lost access to midwives, for example. Yeah. yeah, so that was really great. And we looked at cyber safety, interviewed the Australian Federal Police, looked at everything that we thought could impact on families, um, yeah. but we also did look at financial hardship as well. And that's that's ongoing, isn't it? Because I found that with these mm-hmm. things, you never run it out. You never run out of topics. Um, no, no, yeah. sadly. And um, for us too, the challenge was to make sure that we could actually look after clients. But um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we've actually had an increase in. Um, cases, but the nature of them are, the emotions are quite heightened and that's really sad and having to keep my own team uh, on track with their mental health, given we're all remote and we don't have that same camaraderie that we normally do have when we're actually in the office and and working as a team on a matter has been a challenge, but we've still got very vulnerable people that we're looking after. Um, We have a great empathy, but we're meeting them like I'm meeting with you today on Zoom and uh, it's a different world. It, it is really a different is. world. It is a different world. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, the little things on Zoom. I heard that patterned, patterned shirts are going out of fashion because uh, they're no good on Zoom. But, um, yeah. Well, I don't know what happened uh, with my filter today. As I said, we've got, I've got some sort of creamy filter today and it's not intentional. <laughs> I'm actually thinking maybe my camera's not clean or something. I can say that what we'll do is uh, we'll put a link to your podcast uh, in our promotional materials uh, post this uh, so people can uh, can can check in on that. The production values are fantastic and, it, and it's great. So I'm going to just pop you in back into the waiting room, Sally, and we're going to introduce our next guest. It's Mark Robinson, who is an insolvency partner at the DVT Group. G'day, Mark. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, Nick. Really well. Really well. Fantastic. At least I'm wearing a patent shirt. Yeah. There you go. You, yeah, there you go. I must say we're privileged to have you back again. You were one of our early guests and you were very popular, I must say. Um, tell me, what's what's been keeping you busy the past week or so? Uh, a bit like Sally. Uh, first green shoots of increased inquiry from SME businesses and individuals about you know, uh, what the, the future looks like uh, in terms of uh, government uh, support measures being dialled back. And I've also been uh, looking at a, a small public company, uh, unlisted public company group in terms of a restructure, very IP heavy and very uh, reliant on, you know, the next injection of equity to get them through to the other side. So, you know, uh, many and various and, uh, you know, it's a bit of a relief that the, the phone's starting to, starting to ring a bit more. Yeah, I guess it's interesting. Um, I mean, everybody knows the insolvency sector. Uh, there's I've been articles in the paper about it. It's, it's been very quiet, you know. Um, yeah. uh, so with, it, with with all the JobKeeper and um, et cetera, keeping everybody afloat, how do you value intellectual property in a, in a market like we have today? Oh, look, uh, yeah, excellent question. And uh, and in terms of a public company restructure, it does does need to get valued and you need the independent expert reports to attest, uh, to attest to that. But, yeah, if it's an IP that's never generated a profit, 
uh, notwithstanding the costs of developing that IP have been significant and there's worldwide patents on it. Yes, that, that is the question, uh, you know, uh, what is it worth? And, uh, you know, we've got to bring in, the, bring in the experts to be able to do that for us. I mean, do you, are you gearing up to be busy this side of Christmas, the other side of Christmas? Uh, oh, look, um, I, I think the, the best guess, but, uh, you know, I've, I've got a small wager with my partners on, on that one. Uh, uh, you know, the, they were originally latter part of this year. I, I was a bit more uh, bearish um, and was sort of uh, more looking at around uh, February, March of, of next year. Uh, I think the needle's more swinging my way, but, uh, um, you know, certainly, you know, the, the phones have... Uh, just starting, albeit slowly now. So, you know, my best guess would be uh, February, March next year. And we might just bring Sally back. Okay. Now, I had uh, I had a bit of an interesting uh, SMS exchange with uh, the Treasurer the other day, which I thought I might share with you. It was on Wednesday, about lunchtime Wednesday. Uh, he's basically said, uh, hey, bruh, what's, uh, what's on lunch money this week? And uh, I've responded, well, we're talking about family business, but I've got no idea what we're going to what we're going to talk about, and uh, he's responded with a uh, hold my beer. So um, so he certainly delivered uh, to give us some topics to talk about. Um, I thought we might start, Mark, um, the, the, the question on everybody's lips is about these new insolvency um, laws. Um, and sort of, you know, keeping it, I guess they really very much apply to the, the family business sector, don't they, because they're, they're talking you know, maximum debt, a million dollars. Um, do, you, do you want to just give us a snapshot of how you think that'll impact on, uh, on, on small business? Oh, you're quite right, Nick. Yes, certainly, uh, certainly uh, focus to their SMEs, um, uh, which are predominantly family-owned businesses, which is pertinent to today's discussion, targeted at businesses with less than a, a thousand, uh, sorry, less than a million dollars uh, net unsecured debt. You know, it's a streamlined uh, process, so trying to strip out uh, costs um, in, in the process. It's also a, a debtor-in-possession-style uh, model, uh, which is more taking Australia towards international norms uh, in dealing with micro and small small businesses. And that's also pertinent to uh, our discussion about family businesses because, uh, you know, uh, proprietors of family businesses are very you know, proprietors, uh, and so they're not wanting to hand it over to an administrator. So for them to have the catalyst to do something that if they remain in charge or in possession during the process, um, you know, that's uh, that's that's a good thing. Um, and it's uh, it, it also, uh, I think it's it, it's 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 good because it's in it's encouraging uh, you know small businesses uh, that have been in hibernation and maybe not turning their mind to their uh, to, to their financial position, particularly post-government support measures, it's actually uh, flushing, flushing them out to actually have a, a serious look and see whether these new measures, uh, you know, they can utilise. Right, right. So that's bringing it down, sort of making people think about uh, the yeah. possibilities rather than sticking their head in the sand, perhaps. Um, this this debtor in possession, so, you know, not all of our audience are you know, insolvency savvy. Uh, mm. I mean, typically when a company becomes insolvent, uh, accountants uh, such as yourself, Mark, uh, actually are, are formally in control of the business, whether it's an administration or a receivership. But uh, but what debtor in possession means that um, what the company is going through an insolvency process, it's looking at plans to reorganise, but the actual directors or owners of the business uh, stay in control. What I'm wondering, now, now I appreciate, Sally, that that, um, that insolvency is not necessarily your ballywick, but I'm thinking that one of the advantages of 
having the administrator, someone external come in, is that they're taking the pressure off. It's someone else to blame. Like they can have the hard conversations with the staff, and maybe it's a bit of a, a pressure valve release. Look, I think it, it, it can, the administrator can play such a fantastic role, um, particularly for a company in distress. So pr- even prior to COVID or prior to this. Um, recession that we're expecting, um, we would actually sometimes seek applications in the family court on a, using our accrued jurisdiction that we would be applying in the federal court anyway to actually see if we could actually have a company um, go into administration. And again, not to try and wipe an asset or to try it's to actually try and preserve it. And that's what the courts are really interested in, to sustain um, assets for a, a matrimonial division. And sometimes given the different agendas that have gone around, um, people have actually overplayed their hand and run down companies. So to actually have an honest broker in, and I've had some fabulous administrators in who we've worked really well with because we all want um, a family business to survive a marital breakup, for example. It's in everyone's interest. It's providing income, for example, to put kids through school and it's got valued employees. So it can actually be a really good news story. Interesting, Mark. I mean, what what do you think about that sort of uh, pressure valve release? Uh, As I say, sometimes, you know, there have to be hard conversations had maybe with other family members in the business, Um, uh, you know, be it spouse, uh, you know, siblings, parents, uh, and the administrator can sort of do the dirty work in those regards. I mean, do you think, you know, how would that play out under this new regime? Well, under the new regime, uh, the proprietor's got to engage a practitioner and that practitioner is called a sm- small business uh, restructuring uh, professional. Um, you know, certainly can be a registered uh, liquidator like myself, but there, there might well be a new category of practitioner with slightly less qualifications that qualifies for this practitioner that gets involved in the process. So whilst the debtor is in possession, they're not, in, they're, they're not on their own. They've got to engage uh, uh, an accredited uh, expert, and that accredited expert has got to assist uh, the business proprietor in, in formulating a, a plan. And then at the end of formulating that plan, that practitioner has got to certify uh, uh, that that plan is achievable. Um, and so in going through uh, that process, I think a lot of the hard discussions that need to be had uh, can still be had, notwithstanding right. that the proprietor remains in possession of the, of the business. So yeah, so you think the 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 new small business restructuring professional, whatever it's called, they can still have those hard conversations and act as a pressure valve. Um, I, I, I I think so um, because you know uh, their the practitioners got to be comfortable that the family dynamics, uh, for example, are conducive to you know a continuing viable business going forward. Otherwise, the uh, the projected returns uh, to creditors isn't going to be achievable. Uh, and that practitioner is required to certify that those returns are achievable and that certification won't be forthcoming unless fundamental issues uh, such as those are resolved. I've got an example of a, uh, a difficult conversation in a family business. You're my older brother and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. That's, uh, that's a hard conversation. Um, I mean, every business has its, has its Fredo. Um, so you know, I guess that's that's what that's 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 well, not every business, sorry, but there are situations where there are Fridays. Um, just take taking the um, taking moving sort of spotlight a little bit away, Sally. You mentioned um, uh, you sort of touched on uh, the concept of valuations, um, and I, I've I've got this thing where I say, you know, 
you know, mum or dad comes home every night, you know, from a long day at the, at the office or at the, you know, the mine site or wherever it is they work, and uh, they tell the family, you know, we're rich, we're millionaires, my business is worth, you know, our business is worth $10 million, everything's fantastic. Um, but, of course, then when there, are, when there is a bump in the road, whether it's an administration or some sort of breakdown, all of a sudden uh, the valuations can be a little bit, a little bit of dis disappointment. Is that something that you found? Oh, in terms of the reality of what people, yeah. their perceptions, they can be a disappointment, but also too people unfortunately become a little bit strategic. But yes, there's, there can be an unrealistic um, attitude if they're overinvested, if they haven't had objective advice and advisors. Sometimes you find, particularly working with accountants or the company accountant, the company accountant too close sometimes to the um, business. So we actually do have to get external experts to help us with valuation issues. Uh, is that where you've got, um, uh, for example, you know, someone's running the business down deliberately, you know, planning ahead? What, what are sort of some of the dirty tricks that you see? Oh, well, they start up uh, new companies and or right. they actually convince their spouse to actually resign from directorships and shareholdings. Um, right. And and often too, they're the disempowered or to be too gender specific, but Sometimes the wife might not realise yeah. that resigning a directorship gives up a whole lot of commercial rights and access to information and decision making. Um, for example, lending, and um, and then that can lead to people actually taking out loans to actually um, affect the balance sheet and the valuation. And that's something where we have to sometimes have independent forensic investigators who are experts. Obviously, like Mark with his expertise too, um, but the forensic. Forensic accountants will actually try and unpick that to see there's been some something deliberate to actually decrease the value of that company, and you can actually get injunctive relief if you find that has been the case. But it, it's it's very messy and it's very um, hard for somebody who's not commercially savvy. Um, but often the company accountant is very wedded to the person who they feel is in control of the company as well. This is what you. This is the sort of you're often finding yourself leading the charge on these things. Yes, absolutely, yeah. and, and it doesn't it doesn't pass the smell test. I obviously yeah. haven't got Mark's expertise, but I've been yeah. doing it long enough, and um, that you can tell the types of behaviours or the responses to queries for information, where we're trying to simply be commercial and find out a, a, um, a true commercial value, and then you, it's suddenly we can see the side um, the activity through searches um, where people are actually divesting themselves and particularly putting pressure on the partner to remove themselves from the corporate structure. That's a very big signal to us that something untoward's going on. And I'm sure Mark could relate to that as well. It's a bit like oppression of minority shareholders sometimes. Right. You're running that type of case. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you talk about those strategies. It reminds me, many years ago, I had a client. Um, we we uh, loaned money against business assets, but we also had a collateral mortgage. And there was a lot of equity in, in the mortgage, theoretically. Um, and then one day, the, there was a he. He... Um, up and left and disappeared overseas with the receptionist, as it turns out. He really lived the cliche. But in the process, basically stole all the assets and, and turned those into cash. And the last conversation I managed to have with him before he went overseas, he said, don't worry, just sell the house. Um, so he'd sort of used that as a strategy of, um, you know, basically stealing stealing money from his uh, from his spouse. Mark, do you think, will, will, the new, will these new insolvency laws um, help that situation or... or, or 
you know, help navigate these sort of family issues at all? I, th- I think so. I, I, um, you know, you don't want, uh, you know, continuing businesses uh, that, are, uh, that, are, that are losing money, putting more, more uh, strain on the, on, on, on the family business. Um, so they need to either restructure and resolve uh, their issue or if they can't do that, uh, you know, it's, it's best to, uh, you know, uh, maybe even uh, liquidate to stop, uh, stop, the financial, uh, stop the financial drain. Um, you know, certainly, you know, uh, getting back to Sally's point around uh, uh, valuations and actually, you know, what is the core value of a business? You know, we certainly uh, have that expertise in in house. Uh, Suella McCallum uh, does uh, does do that. So, you know, we, we certainly try and get to the nub of you know the true value, the core value of a business as part of the assessment as to whether we've got something that's that's worth saving. Yeah, well, then, of course, you've got dueling valuers, his and hers. Um, yeah. All right, look, we might just move away from that. Um, the other the other big uh, gift that uh, uh, Josh Frydenberg gave uh, our podcast this week, uh, he's talking about doing away with responsible lending obligations. So responsible uh, lending came in in the last uh, GFC. Uh, personally, I thought that it was an Australian reaction to an American problem. We never really had ninja loans in Australia, no income, no job. It was a it was a feature on the American landscape. And if you've seen that movie that escapes my, my thinking right now, um, you know, you'd know all about that. But um, now uh, Josh Frydenberg saying of doing away with responsible lending obligations for the banks to, to free up money. Um, I mean, is this going to, I'll, I'll put the question to you first, Sally. I mean, is this something that's going to help free up money to help uh, family business formation and expansion? Or is it just going to be another uh, sexually transmitted debt trap? I think it's both because I think the commercial side of um been looking at um, at family businesses struggling and people really needing to inject funds. I think it's actually a really positive step. So I really support it commercially. And again, we can actually rescue and salvage businesses. It's in everyone's interest, um, mm. whether they're in a relationship breakdown or not. So on the one hand, I think it's good news because I think some of the I've seen some really some disasters with the restrictions where people are really desperate to salvage a business and need that flexibility with their banker and they just there's been as the Australian article today said there's been some really unrealistic um, restrictions put on on borrowings but then on the other hand you have to make sure that everyone's paying it straight and that um, both parties are actually informed and if you look at the constituent documents to a company so that for those who don't know what I'm talking about the trustees and the, the governing documents and to make sure that if you for example take out a loan um, and you include your partner, who may be a director, that that they understand that the proper sign-off is there and also that you're not breaching any of the um, director's duties because some directors, as you know, may have a say in lending, borrowing, division of income stream, and sometimes I find that partners, um, one partner feels that they actually aren't the true decision-maker and we actually can use that if there's a breach of any of those constituent documents that will really support injunctions and the return of income and and actually may, might even um, uh, undermine um, a spouse being a guarantor um, uh, for a large, large amount of money for that company. Right. Do you think it'll impact on guarantees? Um, or Yes. Sorry, I meant yeah. providing guarantee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I've yeah. already seen that um, happen and I think that um, all those dots um, uh, and teams T's must be crossed. Everything must be, I think, looked at um, carefully because I think this might expose people to more risk of um, when there's um, 
not proper consent and people are ill-informed and that power imbalance comes into play. So we have all the same commercial principles about unconscionability and informed consent play out in the family court as well. So people need right. to be very careful. Right. So you're, what you seem to be saying is that you, it's basically you think it's a good idea that businesses can access the capital, but yes, probably correct. whilst the, the responsible lending will, will assist the banks uh, they're still going to need to take all the all the usual precautions with uh, with with vulnerable yeah. guarantors and, sort of and comply with all their trust um, ruling rules and uh, rules of equity as well in relation to yeah. um, unconscionable conduct and informed consent. Right. What What do you think, Mark, about the uh, these responsible lending obligations coming off? Oh, look, I, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for family-owned businesses, uh, you know, the freeing up of credit that this opportunity uh, gives to the market. I mean, uh, you know, one of the burning issues with family-owned businesses is succession. Um, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a you know, significant increase in the average age of proprietors of, uh, you know, um, uh, family-owned businesses to, I think, to the effect now that the average age of a proprietor of a family-owned business is beyond retirement, normal retirement age. Uh, mm. So, you know, there, there needs to be a catalyst out there, I think, uh, in terms of uh, a catalyst to affect, uh, you know, uh, the the succession or the handing down to the next generation or even a trade sale or whatever's going to occur. Um, and I think, you know, availability of, of capital and the thing up of that capital to achieve uh, that transaction, um, you know, will, will uh, greatly assist. And I think also, you know, in this COVID environment where fair market values of businesses have declined, you know, the combination of uh, increased availability of, of, of capital, declining values, hopefully will be the catalyst where we'll, we'll see family-owned businesses uh, handed down to the next generation. You think that the responsible lending has, has been an obstacle to... to passing on a business, to handing it down? Well, it's certainly been one of uh, many factors, but, you know, access access to uh, to capital, you know, the the, the incoming uh, new generation might have the ideas, um, mm. you know, in terms of about digitising a business or taking it to the next uh, next step. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and and so they are the future of the business, but they're, they're capital light. Um, certainly the, you know, the, the, the incumbent generation wants a, a comfortable retirement, so, yeah. so they, they're not... Give up their position without you know proper compensation. Um, so I've seen this lack of capital quite often being, or, or lack of well-priced capital, um, you know, being a, a stumbling block and a, a lot of succession uh, sort of issues and, and family council sort of discussions. Mm, interesting. Okay, I mean, we getting on to the sort of topic of uh, succession um, there, and, and Sally, um, I'm just thinking of, of intergenerational issues. I mean, one one big issue that I've encountered many times, I'm sure we all have, I'm sure Mark has as well, you know, you have the business, mum or dad, or maybe mum and dad had the business and it was a really successful business. Mum and dad decide, you know, we've, we're going to go and get the caravan and travel around Australia and hand the keys over to, uh, to the kids. And then, you know, over the next two years, the kids absolutely uh, destroy the business. Um, I guess... You know, have you do you do you do those sort of issues ever cross your desk, Sally? They do in in terms of issues of um, protecting the family, keeping the wealth of the family, really, and yeah. also um, obviously on valuation issues and who actually own, who actually controls the company, too. So we have my debate because um my specialty is matrimonial law and relationship breakdown is that often when we're trying to value a company or actually identify who owns it, if you have complex trust structures and where so some adult kids are actually appointors of the trust with 
one of the spouses, um, it does muddy up ownership. So I probably, for my area, it's protecting the family wealth through what we colloquially call prenups, but with are binding financial agreements and yeah. ensuring that they actually are um, appropriately drawn and equitable um, with some of the new case law. But also, um, for example, if you try and actually remove um, someone's inheritance or interest in a company um, from another spouse, you really do need to work in with the commercial lawyers to understand the structure. And as you said before, um, with those expectations, Mark, um, comes some consideration and has true consideration being paid. So that's probably where my angle comes from. But it is a very live issue. And some people want to also rule from the grave. So working with um, estate planners as well in terms of these prenups, they can actually be quite... Um, quite a lengthy and sophisticated document to make sure that um, the, the following generations actually get their inheritance and spouses can't actually come in and actually um, uh, include that in the matrimonial pool. And that it's quite complex. I can see why you mentioned earlier that sometimes there is a an appointment of an administrator because I guess while all that's going on, if things are uh, if things are nasty, uh, you know the value of, you know, there, there could be real destruction of uh, value to the business. Sometimes people actually uh, enter into administration um, on a false basis, and so then yeah. again, I need someone like Mark to tell me what do you think about this? Yeah. Is this actually yeah. is is this legitimate? And I have actually, in fact, um, run a case where we actually overturned um, the um, appointment of administrator, and that's. Quite quite highly unusual, but again, through our crude um, jurisdiction, commercial jurisdiction, we, we actually did that because it was a sham mm. and we had a few sham bankruptcies too. Mark, um, has this, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of scenario I described with the, the business being passed down to the next generation, do you think, um, have you seen any instances or do you think that this COVID uh, situation has uh, impacted on that at all? Well, look, I think COVID to an extent, has exacerbated it. Uh, I mean, the way, you know, well-structured family-owned businesses uh, sort of cope with that intergener intergenerational uh, dynamic uh, and also maybe the lack of skills and experience of uh, the younger generation coming through is to have outsiders, uh, you know, properly qualified and experienced outsiders, be they accountants or industry experts, and, um, and, and to have... You know, those sort of people on your family council or your government's advisory board or whatever structure you've got in your family business, that, that costs money. Um, and, uh, and you know, some of those, you know, safety net uh, sort of governance areas of, uh, due to lack of funds through COVID have been, been let go. So I would surmise that uh, much like in the matrimonial way that Sally has experienced uh, through, through COVID that, you know, pressures have built up, um, I, I suspect, in family-owned businesses, uh, those sort of uh, family dynamic uh, disputes uh, have probably amped up over the COVID period. I'm just sort of cycling back to this uh, concept of business valuation, Sally. Um, I, I imagine that business valuations have probably come off with all this COVID, particularly in Melbourne. You know, if you had anything that was uh, in the hospitality sector, and I guess yeah. when when there is a family dispute, and you 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 know you you're sort of working out who gets what. Has that has that played into? Has that affected? Oh, significantly. Um, there are cases where people are fighting to resolve the issue immediately because I think it will be in the interest where the company really is um, a shell of what it used to be and um, it's time to they try, try and resolve it um, as soon as possible. Others are deferring. But there are other companies that are going gangbusters mm -hmm. and we've had situations where people have actually tried to um, say, let's have a pre-COVID valuation and we've got 
no. Yeah. <laughs> because, again, it's that smell test because you can see that if it's a particular type of industry which is actually doing extremely well, um, and then you can actually, um, you really, legally, you need to take the value as of the date that you actually settle matters. Um, so if you're wanting to settle right now, you need to take COVID valuations. But, mm. but then some people, again, sensibly, if, if there's a company struggling, um, I'm really all for get that company up and going again. Let's let's just right. let's see. Um, so it just depends what type of asset we're talking about. Yeah, because I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, it's not unusual, I mean, uh, that, you know, uh, he keeps the business, she gets the house sort of thing or vice versa. What, what about, what do you see in this uh, in that regard, Mark, with respect to sort of dampened valuations? Well, I think particularly in industries that have been uniquely impacted by COVID, let's call it hospitality, let's call it, for example, pubs and clubs, I think the only fair way to, to value is on the, you know, on the basis that they they you know cross to the other side and on based on future uh, you know future cash flows and future likely uh, cash flows to to actually base it on a on a on a on a pure COVID uh, valuation is is is, is probably uh, probably not not fair uh, particularly in a in a, in a family uh, a, a court style uh, dispute environment. Um, so yeah, rather than just looking at the you know the, the the historicals over the last five years, I think valuations have got to be more forward focused. And what does the business look like when it crosses to the other side? Okay, look, we are we are running out of time, but I would like to uh, to, to throw you both a uh, what in America they'd call a curveball, but I'm going to call it a googly. Um, is um, imagine you've got uh, 60 seconds with uh, uh, well, one one of the things that's happening um, is that I understand that uh, the franchise industry. A lot of people are looking at buying into franchises. You know, maybe they've lost their jobs or they've found that with COVID, you know, their their normal employment is not so steady as it used to be, and they're looking at getting into business. Um, if you've got if you've got 60 seconds with a, a married couple. Um, about to go into a business of some sort during these times, what would your advice to them be? I'll start with you, Mark. Um, uh, you know, look at uh, look at the franchise agreements and look at the history and profile of that uh, uh, franchise organisation and speak to as many other parties who have been um, within that franchise for, for a number of years, uh, not only those that are currently successful, but those that have exited out the other side uh, and just in terms of what their experience has been. My concern with franchises is that there are many layers uh, with revenue. The ticket gets clipped at various levels up and down the up and down the chain, and then also there's a there's a lot of power up the chain to step in and basically deny you your business if things go awry uh, for whatever reason. So, uh, you know, a, a good legal review, a good business review, um, and you get what you pay for. Yeah, I really agree with Mark wholeheartedly to to really look into that franchisee agreement because I've done a couple of um, cases for some of the bigger franchises and they actually have their own valuation methodology as well and that's really made me deep dive into what the situation actually is. And, um, for example, something like McDonald's, you don't own the freehold. So you're really looking at uh, and you've got very strict regulations in terms of how much money you put into the corporation and um, depending on the demographic and the location too of your actual McDonald's store, for example, um, really um, there are big differences in income earning uh, capacity too and, and often there's economies of scale that it, you, it might be far more profitable to actually have to own a couple 
uh, rather than one. But it really depends upon the location. So um, I found those absolutely fascinating and also that we're not bound by the normal um, valuation methodologies. They've got their own valuation methodology and, and they won't move outside of that. So there's, that's something too that's really interesting um, to know about. But you can imagine some of those franchisees that are located at the airports, for example, um, or just outside the airports or were reliant upon tourism or people driving to the snow, for example, they will be largely impacted on. So, um, again, at least I think they've got through through delivery, um, but it's just something you have to just really get into that broad industry knowledge, and we have to when we're looking at a case too. It's, it's quite different. Okay. Well, look, believe it or not, I, I, it always amazes me how – how quickly the time goes by, and uh, we're actually out of time. So I'd like to uh, thank you very much, Sally Nichols. Thank you, really. It's been fantastic having you on. I really appreciate you coming on. So thank you. And Mark Robinson, thank you for uh, being a second timer. It's been great to have you back as well. Oh, much enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Nick. Okay. Well, thank you very much to all of our live uh, viewers and uh, a special hello to everybody who listens later on on, on audio and uh, uh, on YouTube over the weekend. Um, thank you very much again. Cheers.